So we're in Mark's Gospel today and we are currently in chapter 7. So it's Mark 7 and we're going to read from verse 24. Mark 7, 24 is as follows. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Zidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it. But he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meat, it is not appropriate, to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to the house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. So, an interesting account. <clears throat> and this, uh, what we've just read, is an example of great faith. But my purpose today is to present to you not so much the one displaying faith, but rather the one who this person trusted, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of Man and Son of God. Faith in him alone is the only way a man or a woman can be saved from their sin and inherit eternal life. So today we've read an account of Jesus healing someone. She was a young woman who was vexed with a devil. She was demonized. Jesus healed this girl at a distance at the earnest request of her mother and such was the depth of the mother's God-given faith. It's been left uh, as an example for us. God help us to learn something from this woman today. God help us to think more highly of the healer himself, Jesus the Lord. And if you're outside the kingdom right now, just maybe, God will give you faith in his son. We read that Jesus came into the borders of Tyre and Zidon. He come from Gennesaret on the edge of the lake of uh, the Sea of Galilee. And there he'd taken on the religious leaders and exposed them as blind, false teachers, pretend believers and religious hypocrites. He determined now to keep a low profile, but once again he was interrupted. Yet even this interruption was ordained by God so that Jesus might help someone, but more importantly that his ministry would be more greatly endorsed as a result. I want to firstly recap what happened here. The woman goes to Jesus saying her daughter's possessed. She pleads with him. Then Jesus effectively calls her a dog, one of those who are not the tribes of Israel and so not do anything 
of the goodness shown to them by God. She replies with a wise answer, showing her great faith, and Jesus remotely and immediately heals her daughter. Now, I feel it would be good to uh, look briefly at the account from three points of view. So firstly, there is the literal understanding. So you have the master of the house, the husband and father. He sits at the family's dining table. His family's there too. He's provided food for his family. And in this example, it's the children who are spoken of. He feeds bread to his children. They are fed first and are fed plenty. However, some crumbs fall to the floor and the dog gets them. It's a sign of the dog's status that it eats crumbs off the floor and only when the children have been fed. So that's the literal understanding. So secondly, we have the Jewish understanding. So remember that God singled out a nation, Israel, in order that he might use them as a picture of the true Israel, the church, the elect of God from all nations. So in this picture of the feast, the master of the house is Jehovah. The children are the Jewish people. The table is the basis of their unity or communion. The bread represents God's provisions. The crumbs represent the smallest of those blessings. And the dogs symbolize the Gentiles or non-Israelites. This is probably the level of her understanding that she, as a Gentile, was not worthy to partake in the blessings she knew belonged to the Jews. Yet she begged for help, believing Christ to be the only one who could heal her daughter. So we've had the literal understanding and the, the general understanding of the day, the Jewish understanding. And thirdly, we come to the most important one. We come to the spiritual understanding. Here, the master is Christ Jesus the Lord. The children are the true Israel of God, the people he elected from eternity. The table is our unity in Christ. The bread pictures all the blessings promised in the gospel. The crumbs are the mercies God shows to undeserving sinners. And the dogs are unbelievers. The whole purpose of this account being recorded for us is to magnify Jesus Christ. And in order to see this, we will have a look at this woman a little bit more closely. But I want to take a moment to comment on this treatment of the woman. It's often said this is an example of one of the, the hard sayings, that is the, the harsh sayings of Jesus. Now I'm not going to criticise anyone for using that term, but I do feel that it re reveals a problem within the church today. My suspicion is many people have a wrong idea of what Jesus is like. It's this sentimental view again, which has poisoned the thinking of the Lord's people and led to many errors. If we simply look at the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, we can see he displays a range of emotions and acts in a variety of ways. One minute, he's healing someone who's been blind their whole life. The next minute, he's throwing tables over and brandishing a stick. 
What man is he speaking of himself as the good shepherd who gives his very life for his beloved sheep? The next, he's speaking of himself as the judge who will give the order for millions of people to be cast into a place of eternal torment. The real Jesus gives life and destroys life. The real Jesus loves people and hates people. But because people are sinners, they want an impotent Jesus. They're happy with the baby Jesus or with an adult Jesus who's nice to people and gives wise advice. A sort of like an ancient version of Gandhi. So they naturally recoil from acknowledging him as the holy, almighty creator, just like the hymn writer describes here. There thy kingdoms all adore thee, heaven above and earth below, while the depths of hell before thee, trembling and defeated, bow to the one who stands puzzled at the hard sayings of Jesus Christ. They need to be shown that these sayings are not out of character for our Saviour, but natural expressions of who he is. So let's examine some things about this woman. Firstly, the woman knew she was a dog. In our society, if a woman's called a dog, it's used to cruelly express how outwardly ugly they think she is. Thank God he doesn't look on the outward appearance, but on the heart. He sees past your possessions, your clothes, your looks, even your religious activities, and sees you. But Jesus' use of this word was different. The Jews commonly referred to non-Jews as Greeks, but also dogs. Uh, the word dogs used for some other things as well. Uh, it's used to describe um, male prostitutes, for example, in the Old Testament. The dog was despised. Most ran around the town in feral packs, making a nuisance of themselves, you know, ripping the bin bags open and everything. Although some were owned as working animals. And, as you know, the dogs, they do eat their own vomit, Quite disgusting, isn't it? And so being an animal familiar to people and being thought little of, it's not surprising it's used in the Bible as a term of loathing for rebels against God. You can have a look later if you want at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 15 as an example. Well, this woman was a Syrophoenician, as I say. It's a Canaanite. She is. She came to Jesus most likely from Tyre or Zidon itself. And so perhaps living so close to the Israelite people, she'd have been familiar with the application of that title of dog to her and her people. So she knew she was a dog. The woman also knew Jesus was the only one who could help her. It was to him she came. Perhaps she knew the Psalms. Psalm 33 verse 20 says, Our soul waited for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Or maybe this one from Psalm 46, the first verse. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Friends, who are yet unsaved, this woman's is the very knowledge you need. You must know 
that you are unworthy of the least of God's blessings, you must acknowledge Jesus Christ as the promised Son of God and God the Son. And you must believe that he alone can help you with your sin. Let's get back to this woman. We note that the woman came. The woman came. She heard the helper was in travelling distance and she came to him. It might sound too obvious to mention. But she had to go to him. And in leaving her home to seek out the master, she was already showing her faith. As an aside, of course, what was driving her to him was love for her daughter. She was so desperate for her daughter's well-being that it's as if she was the one herself being afflicted. You believers, you are the body of Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, verse 27, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. When one member of this body is afflicted, share in it and help ease their burden. So the woman came to Jesus. The woman also pleaded. She begged for help. And when Jesus ignored her plea, she even tried persuading the disciples to speak to him on her behalf. To be honest, she made a nuisance of herself for the sake of her daughter. You children listening to this, you'll, you'll never fully know the love your parents have for you. But don't feel too bad, because your parents are the same. They didn't know just how much their parents loved them. And if you grow up and have children of your own, be prepared. They won't see the love you have for them either. It's when you have your own children, you start to say to yourself, Hang on, if I'm having to make all these sacrifices for my children, then maybe my parents did the same for me. Maybe their purpose in life wasn't to make my life a misery after all. But the worst thing of all is that none of us appreciate fully the love of God for us. There's the real sin. The woman pleaded with Jesus. The woman also fell down at his feet and worshipped. There was no shame here. She really did throw herself on the floor. Is there any place lower? Worship belongs to God alone. When in a vision the Apostle John spoke with an angel, he was so overawed with the revelations, he fell at the angel's feet and worshipped him. But the angel told him to immediately stop it. He said, I am thy fellow labourer. He went on to say, worship God, worship God. So there's something of the woman's behaviour and, and when the time comes for God to reign in one of his chosen people, they must come to him just as they are, reeking with sin. They must plead with God for mercy. And the only way of approach is on the floor. Not necessarily, literally, of course, but they must within themselves, in a spiritual manner, cast themselves at his feet and worship him as Lord and Saviour. Let's say just a little bit more about the woman. Because we see her humility here. Most people wouldn't bow down like she did. We're a proud race of creatures. 
and it kills us to humble ourselves. But this woman knew she had a need and she just didn't care what she looked like or what people thought. But more than that, consider how she reacted when Jesus referred to her as a dog who was unworthy of help. What would the average woman do in our society? I think you can't imagine. But she said, dog, that's true, Lord. She didn't defend herself or remind him what a good person she was. She says, yes, that's all true. Such humility. And let's go, let's go further. Thinking about the modesty of her request. She wasn't asking for the, the wealth of Israel. She wasn't asking for multitudes of blessings. She asked for, as it were, crumbs of mercy and readily admitted she didn't deserve even these. She was humble. We see also her persistence. The woman wouldn't give up, would she? She pestered Jesus, then made a nuisance of herself, we read elsewhere, to the disciples too. Then she went back to Jesus and tried again. She was ignored by the Son of God, but it did not stop her. Have any of you wondered why Jesus ignored her? It's a fair question to ask. I've no doubt he did it to test her faith, to see if she would give up. But despite being ignored, despite people wanting her to just go away, despite being addressed as nothing more than a dog, despite the completely negative response to her plea, she continues until a blessing comes and she gets her request. You know, if I didn't know Christ at all, I'd have wondered who this woman thought she was I mean, you don't pester Jesus Christ, do you? He's God after all. But the book of God tells me that he encourages, encourages this type of approach. So she was persistent. We see too here wisdom. She shows wisdom. I've always been impressed by the woman's answer when Jesus shot her down with an apparently unsympathetic or cruel reaction. He started the analogy, this picture of bread and crumbs and dogs, but she continues with it. There was a wisdom in her saying, and all true wisdom is from heaven. It's been noted that her people were noted for their, uh, their sophistry, their, their, their smooth talking, but this here was not due to an inherited uh, intellect but born from a simple childlike faith which said he is God therefore he can do it at the appointed time of God's love when the elect sinner is still acting like a child of the devil God comes and gets hold of that man that woman, that child and he humbles them by having them put themselves in a place of Submission. He encourages them to persist in pleading with them for mercy. And he imparts to them wisdom from on high. This wisdom is not the type the world calls wisdom. They'd say, I don't know, Confucius was wise. 
The wisdom I'm talking of is heavenly wisdom. Read 2 Timothy 3.15. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. The wisdom God gives results in their conversion. It is wisdom unto salvation. It ends in salvation. You do know, don't you, that unconverted men can be experts in the study of God. They read books about theology. They go to college to study theology. And then they write books about theology themselves. Yet, in all this, their hearts are far from God. Their theology is limited to here, up here in the head, whereas the knowledge of God for the believer is, is in the heart also. There are things that go on in the relationship between God and his children that the world can never understand. Why? It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. If you're listening today because you're interested in finding out about God, then we ask God right now that he give you this wisdom from above that you might feel your need of a saviour. So we've looked at this woman, we've reminded ourselves about how the story relates to God, saving his people from their sin, and we've confessed together that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Saviour. So perhaps now I could just take a short time to encourage the brethren and I'm going to do this by giving you just three short final points. Basic points, because the simple things are the ones we often forget. And they're to do with our approach to God. Our approach as believers. So firstly, like this woman, we should come to God. We're to pray always. Pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean every waking moment. It means... Lots throughout the day. Hundreds of prayers perhaps. Albeit very small ones. Uh, in, in addition to, to, to longer ones, more involved ones. Pray without ceasing. The word of God is overflowing with encouragement for God's children to pray to him. Yet, by all accounts, they don't do much of it. For example, regarding the things we ask for, God says in James chapter 4 and verse 2, you have not because you ask not. The reason you don't have the things you want is because you simply don't ask for them most of the time. Can it be that simple? That's what it says. How often I've struggled with some problem only to realise after some time that, you know, I haven't asked God for help. God has all the things you need right there. He's willing to give them to you. But you haven't asked yet. Jesus gave us a wonderful promise when talking to the disciples one day. It's recorded in John 15, 16. <clears throat> it 
John 15, 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. It's quite a promise. So we, we were to come to God. And secondly, like this woman, we should worship God. We approach God through worship in general. People have this tendency to associate the word worship with just singing hymns. It's much more than that. The entire life of a Christian is an act of worship. How so? Well, you worship him when you pray, which is supposed to happen, as I say, throughout the day. You worship him when you read, study and meditate on his word. You worship him when you listen to the word expounded by a preacher. You worship him when you fellowship with other members of your heavenly family. You worship him when you present the gospel to others and you worship him in song. If you're feeling a bit short of joy, worshipping God will get it back. Get into the word more. Share what you read with others. Spread the gospel. P pay attention to the preaching. Make notes. And whenever you sing, pay attention to the words. So we're to regularly come to God. We're to worship him. And finally, like this woman, we should be persistent. You know, it's always astonished me how we are encouraged by God to pester him. Now, I'm not making this up. He really does give us the go-ahead to make a nuisance of ourselves in prayer. That's what being persistent is. I'm just going to give you two examples so you know it's in the Bible. Genesis 32, verse 26. It describes how Christ Jesus came in the form of an angel, or at least that's my understanding of, of who it was. And he entered into a physical struggle with Jacob. And he, it says, and he, that's the Lord, said, let me go, for the day breaks. And he, that's Jacob, said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Jacob's perseverance left us with an example, which we can follow in prayer, in saying to God, I will not rest, Lord, till this prayer is answered. And then in the 11th chapter of Luke, Christ gives us an example of a man who goes to his friend's house at midnight. The man's asking his friend for some food because he has guests at his own house but has nothing to give them. His mate shouts out the window, do you realise what time it is? The doors are all locked, everyone's in bed, I can't help you mate. Reading from verse 8, it says, And I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, 
he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Believer, what privilege you have. How greatly you are blessed in being able to approach God at all. You, my friend, are clothed in a robe of the very righteousness of Christ himself. Make use of it. Make use of your access. And come to God in heartfelt worship. And pray with earnestness. He loves you so much. And he delights to give you good things. You don't get crumbs that fall from the master's table. You sons and daughters of God are sitting at the table with him and he daily fills you with all blessings in Christ Jesus. Amen.